Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. Uh, Joe, we left the last episode, we were talking about uh, Scott Frost and a big game that he has and how he lost that game to Illinois and how things are looking a little bad the rest of the season. Um, Coach Orgeron's got a big one coming up in Beverly Hills this week. Beverly Hills 90210, if you will, taking on UCLA. And suddenly, Joe, this game interests me a whole lot more than it did before I saw it in the regular before I saw it in the preseason because, man, if UCLA didn't look impressive last week, I know Hawaii isn't what it once was under June Jones, but UCLA's defense looked tight. And then uh, not only did uh, Dorian, uh, Dorian, the quarterback, look really solid, Zach Charbonnet, transfer running back from Michigan, just looked awesome. Suddenly this UCLA team looks pretty legit. They really do. And I can't remember what my pick was last week as far as whether I had UCLA winning this game or LSU winning this game when we were doing the SEC schedule predictions. But I really kind of want to go out on the limb now and say that I think UCLA is going to win this game. I think you talk about the talent on the UCLA roster, the depth that they have. What did they score over 40 points in their quarterback only through, I think, 130 passing yards. I mean, that just speaks volume for the running game that they had. And then on the flip side, you had LSU. And, yes, I completely understand, you know, they're a talented team, one of the top three or four most talented teams in the SEC, no doubt. I know they have Brad Johnson's uh, son at quarterback, former Super Bowl-winning quarterback, you know, great uh, family pedigree. But at the same time, I just think there's kind of a cloud of distractions that are building around this LSU program right now with Coach O. And I think there's a lot of pressure. And we know O2 well as old Miss fans, you know, what that was like for Hugh Freeze in that 2016 season. You know, they had a lot of talent on that roster, but then they kind of crashed and burned with a five and seven season. And so, you know, LSU, I don't know if they'll be that weak, but, you know, there's a chance that they could kind of um, lose a game like this and start kind of a tailspin trend. It's totally possible, Joe, and, you know, compounding the problems that they've had is Hurricane Ida. They've had to practice all week in Houston. They've had to be uprooted from their homes in Baton Rouge uh, based on the devastation that that Ida wrecked. And now the question is, does this galvanize them and make them have a great performance? Or when you add in all the distractions of all the assault investigations, everything about Coach O's lack of supervision, then you add in this change in uh, in weekly preparation. Is that going to be too much for them to overcome, or is it going to make them play better? You don't know because it depends. If they're a great team, this will make them stronger. If they're a team that's not very strong in the leadership department, then this could be something that could cause them to lose a game. Maybe they shouldn't. Definitely. You know, you know only time will tell, but um, it's certainly going to be, like you said earlier, a much more uh, compelling game than you would have thought a few months ago. Joe, so here's the biggest stat, I think, in this game is one and a half. How many interceptions does DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, throw against that great LSU secondary? And does Derek Stingley pull a junior Rose Green and make some guys from UCLA be scared? and just dominate him because I think Derek Stingley and DTR are the two most important players in this game on both sides. Can DTR actually get some yards against the Derek Stingley uh, defense in the secondary? 
and can Derek Stingley assert his dominance? And I think those are the two guys that make this game one way or the other. Yeah, I think so. You know, well, LSU kind of forced him to throw more than he had to last week. Yeah, because I think Charbonnet is he's a very good running back, but we all know that it's very difficult to run the ball against LSU no matter what year it is. Right. So Joe, I'm still gonna I'm still gonna stick with LSU winning this game, but I think it's gonna be a close game. I think maybe a little bit higher scoring than people think. I like LSU to win this game and cover the three and a half, 31 to 27. Okay. I'll go um, UCLA 37-34. Okay. Now, Joe, last week we, of course, did our SEC East and West previews, and I'm sure some people watched the show and were like, you left Alabama out. Well, what we did is Alabama is going to win the West. We're predicting that. That's what our prediction is. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Alabama in lead-up to this game. And, Joe, before we get to this present Alabama team, I want to revisit some past for the Crimson Tide aficionados out there. It's been a long time since Alabama played Miami. In fact, the last time they played Miami is a game that I'm sure big Alabama fans remember quite well, that being the 1993 Sugar Bowl where Alabama won their first national championship since 1979. And, in fact, it was the only national championship that Alabama had during my lifetime until I was in college. And I didn't even remember it then. And whenever people talked about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that because I couldn't remember it. It was 1992. Uh, But in that game, Joe, I think probably, I mean, there's been so many great Alabama plays in history, but that's got to be a top five Alabama play was George Teague's rundown of of Lamar Thomas, who was allegedly the fastest receiver in college football. Teague runs him down, strips him, takes the ball away from him, and returns it the other way. And if you've never seen the video of this play, I mean, it is absolutely incredible. You can tell that Teague is just a man possessed trying to get this ball because he knows that he blew a coverage and that Gene Stallings is about to rip him a new one. Wow. And you're, and you're serious that they've never played since then, Miami and Alabama? They have not. The last time they played was in the midst of the U dynasty. Gino Toretta was the Heisman Trophy quarterback. He had Lamar Thomas at wide receiver. Uh, the Rock was on this team. The Rock played on that Miami team. Really? Uh, yes. They'd won the national championship the year before that, and I believe had won four out of the last six national championships going into that game. And they were a heavy favorite over the Crimson Tide. I think they were like a ten-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. And Alabama wore them out, and they ended up beating them like 34-13. to 13. But, Joe, that interception, though, that came at a time where I think it was the middle of the third quarter – and Miami, if they had scored that, would have gotten back to a two-score game. And that was a huge momentum change right there. And I said interception, I mean a fumble, but you think of it more like an interception because it's a DB running down a receiver. But that ended up being the play that sealed it, and I think kind of broke Miami. Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. So flipping forward, now we see Alabama and Miami playing again. And Alabama is the huge favorite. And Miami is the huge underdog. Uh could it be that there could be some retribution almost 30 years later? Probably not, but it could be something to think about. Um, and now, you know, the question is, you got experience versus inexperience. Bryce Young's coming in with a lot of accolades. Uh, a lot of people thought last year you should start over Mac Jones. Well, those people were stupid. Um, but and, and now he gets to have his first game fresh with all, all kinds of endorsements before he's ever played a snap. You got De'Aaron King coming back for his fifth year. 
off an ACL tear. And really fascinating story of Derek King. I think that, you know, if he does a great job and, you know, wins this game or, you know, uh, leads Miami to a Coastal Division title, probably one of the best stories in college football, I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And really, when you look at Miami's schedule, this is the only sure loss on the schedule. I know they have to play North Carolina later on, but I believe they avoid Clemson in the regular season. So great opportunity that win or lose, they'll run the table the rest of the way and still finish 11-1. As far as this matchup, I kind of am tempted to think that Miami could cover on this spread. I know that Alabama – you know, as a history under Saban of just demolishing these non-conference opponents in these, you know, opening weekend games. But I kind of think Miami could, you know, stay within maybe 17 points of Alabama because they also have Charleston Rambo, former Oklahoma wide receiver, who's one of the best transfers in college football this year, gives Derek King another playmaker on the outside. We know that Manny Diaz always has really good defensive coach teams with his days as a defensive coordinator in the SEC. So I think that Miami would be competitive, but at the end of the day, I just think that Alabama under Saban, it's the same movie that we've watched, you know, year in, year out. And yeah, the sequel may not be quite as talented as some of their other teams they've had, but I think they'll be good enough to to win this pretty easily. Uh, Joe, I think that Miami is going to hang pretty tight in this game too. Uh, That's one that that I've thought about taking, um, and the boats this weekend, Miami to cover the spread. I wasn't quite feeling good enough about it to place any money on it, but I did like – I do think that if that's the play on this game is Miami to cover because I think 17 and a half is a lot of points. And I think De'Aaron King will have some success against this defense. But what I really think the, that makes this game probably closer than the experts think is Miami's defense against a completely new quarterback in Bryce Young. If there's one thing we know about the U, it's that they cause turnovers. They cause turnovers all over the place. That's why they get that turnover chain, you know, because they cause it. And it gets them hyped up. And I think that they'll get one to two, two-plus turnovers against this Alabama team. And I think they're probably going to be Bryce Young interceptions because he's going to be young, he's going to be experienced, and he's going to try and force some things. So I think that you're going to see Miami get a couple – a couple interceptions that makes this game a little tighter. And I think that maybe they hang somewhere like 10 points. I'm my final score is I think Alabama wins this game like 38 to 28. I'm going to say 38, 23. I think that Miami has to settle for a few too many field goals. Okay. All right, Joe, moving on uh, to before we get to the last game that I want to talk about, which, of course, is going to be Georgia and Clemson. I want to talk about what I think is a, a, sne- a couple sneaky good games real quick. The first one is uh, North Carolina and Virginia Tech. I think this one has upset alert written all over it. North Carolina as a top 10 team. Yes, you heard that right. Top 10. We talked about it earlier with Indiana. When you have expectations you're not used to, and you have to travel in a road environment that's a tough one, spells a lot of disaster. Virginia Tech is a tough place to play. They have that inner Sandman tradition. It's in the mountains. It's cold. There's a lot of things that make Virginia Tech kind of a scary road trip. Plus, they're a desperate football team right now. Justin Fuentes is fighting for his job. Uh, the only one, I mean, he didn't have quite as much hype as Scott Frost had coming in, but I think he's equally disappointed as to what Scott Frost has done while he's been at Virginia Tech. Huge year for him, and I think that he's got a pretty solid secondary returning. 
and that could spell a little bit of trouble for uh, the quarterback at UNC who everyone's so high on. I kind of think that this might be a game that Virginia Tech wins straight up and what is my upset pick of the week. It certainly wouldn't surprise me because I've heard, like you said, all the raves about North Carolina's quarterback Sam Howell. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I keep going back to the point that his offensive coordinator is Phil Longo. And Phil Longo had some very talented, I mean, that's even an understatement, extremely talented offensive players at Ole Miss. You know, he coached wide receivers like DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown, and yet he still struggled to put up good offensive numbers against even decent defenses at times, which is just so puzzling. And one of the criticisms about his offense, Dan, is that it's very vanilla. They don't run that many plays. Uh, I want to say I read that he has like fewer than 20 plays sometimes in the playbook offensively and that they rely on a lot of improvisation from the quarterbacks and the receivers, almost like you're playing kind of a glorified version of like backyard football. Mm -hmm. And I just don't think it works out when defensive coordinators have plenty of time to prepare. Like Virginia Tech's had an all-off-season to get ready for it, and all the intricacies they're going to be able to put in Longo's uh, way. And so I think the Yappy Virginia Tech has a good chance to stifle uh, North Carolina's offense. All right, Joe, moving on to the other one that's really sneaky good. Believe it or not, I say sneaky. It's a it's a matchup between two top 25 teams. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette taking on Texas and Sark's first game in Austin. This is a scary game, Joe. Uh, you know, you and I are both on record and thinking that we thought the Sark hire was a bad one for Texas. Uh this is a game that they could lose. Billy Napier has done a great job at Louisiana Lafayette. I'm not sure why he's still there. He keeps on passing on all kinds of big jobs, at least uh, allegedly he is. Um, but he returns a team that went undefeated last year, that beat Liberty, uh, that beat Iowa State, which ended up being a top six team and really good and beat the, beat the brakes off of Iowa State. Actually, you watch that game, they looked legitimately better than they did. And now they're taking on Texas in, a, in their first game without Ellinger, their first game with uh, Sark. This is a scary matchup, I think, for the Longhorns, and this could be maybe the upset of the weekend. It certainly could happen. It's hard for me to get a good read on Texas because, you know, we, we talk all about how good Sark looked with Nick Saban. You know, we also know how well anybody looks alongside Nick Saban. <laughs> And so it's almost like you've got the teenager that's been driving with the parent and everything's going fine, and then they're getting in the car for the first time by themselves. You just don't know what's going to happen. And that's the way I feel with Sark um, controlling this offense by himself without saving there for a parental guidance. And I think that they're going to have to rely on Robinson, that talented running back for Texas, in order to win this game. And how he goes and the development of their quarterback – will really, I think, predicate how the season goes. But it's definitely a scary game. Like, if you told me that Louisiana Lafayette beat Texas, would not really be that surprised. And then suddenly Sark, his honeymoon stage is over, and Texas fans are, you know, going to be in turmoil. Yeah, I mean, he needs to win this game or else they're going to be mad at him instantly. Whereas one thing we know about Texas, that is one of the most volatile fan bases and volatile board of trustees there is, they don't give you a lot of rope. In fact, I wouldn't even know if it's necessarily string that they give you. I mean, you look at what uh, 
what what Todd Herman did there, it wasn't that bad. He just never really did anything that great, you know, and that's what they want. They want greatness all the time. So you better you better win this game, Sark, or else you're already going to be bad taste in their mouths about that hire they made and all that money they paid you and all the money they had to pay to get rid of Tom Herman too, which was a whole lot of money. Definitely, definitely. So that's, that's what I'm kind of interested in. Um, I'm not going out on a limb and saying Louisiana Lafayette wins this game, but I'm with you. I'm not going to be surprised if it happens. Yeah. All right, Joe. Uh, quickly, one more before we go to Georgia USC. Same kind of vein. How about San Jose State and USC? USC is a team that almost went undefeated last year. Of course, lost to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game in a shortened season. San Jose State was undefeated last year, uh, coming in with their tenth year starting quarterback Nick Starkle. I mean, how old is Nick Starkle at this point? Almost 30 years old. I don't know how long he's been playing college football. Um, but Nick Starkle comes in after being in his third college, having an undefeated season. USC, you know, there, there's always a lot of questions about uh, what, what Clay does with, you know, keeping his guys focused and his product on the field. San Jose State's kind of a scary game, and I mean USC might have to fight for their lives to win this one because they might be looking forward. Yeah, that was one of those that I almost went with San Jose State to cover on that spread, um, even though it's fourteen uh, USC. So I really think that you're right. Nick Starkle had a very prolific offense last year for San Jose State. I think he had a huge game in their first uh, game this season that they played in Week Zero. I think he had four or five touchdown passes in that game. And so, yeah, he, he definitely could put up some big numbers against USC and really scare uh, the Trojans. Joe, one that I almost bet on was uh, Fresno State and Oregon. Uh, I believe Oregon's favored by 20 and a half over, over Fresno State. Oregon, of course, next week has got their mammoth matchup with Ohio State. And you got to think they're looking forward to that one. Fresno State's a very good team who, you know, all the time beats on beats D1 teams. And that was one I was really, like, almost picked for my line of the week. I did end up, like, taking that one myself. And I think Fresno State might hang, might even be a one-score game in that one. I could see it. It wouldn't surprise me. All right, Joe, let's, let's end this show talking about the game of the week. That's Georgia and Clemson. If you watch College Game Day last week, everybody's high on the Bulldogs right now. Two of them, even though Georgia hasn't won a national championship in over 40 years, predicted Georgia to win the national championship this year. People think this is Kirby's team. Of course, you got JT Daniels back. Uh, you got solid receivers. Of course, uh, Zeus White at running back, James Cook, and, of course, the ever-present uh, solid defense of Kirby. And then now you got Clemson. They're playing without T-Law for the first time. Now it's really DJ Uyagalele's show. Uh, and, of course, Clemson not only lost T-Law, they lost Travis Etienne. And uh, I believe they they lost um, their linebacker, too, that, of course, always got ejected for making those big hits. And there's a lot of things that Clemson's not having. And it seems like the popular opinion right now is that Georgia's going to win this game. Yeah, I like Georgia to win um, for a couple of reasons. You talk about having to replace a lot of those superstar players, generational talents for Clemson, especially on offense. I am intrigued by Justin Ross making his return for Clemson at wide receiver. 
after missing an entire season last year, unfortunately, due to injury. So we'll see if he can channel some of the 2019-2018 forms we saw from him. But also, I think with Georgia, I just love just the depth of the team, the talent of the team. I just don't really see any holes anywhere. And you have a full offseason with JT Daniels getting the number one reps in practice where, you know, last year Jamie Newman got most of that, and then he left the team, surprisingly. And I also think that they have a great tight end. they got a transfer tight end I think is going to improve the roster. And then finally, Dan, I think I mentioned this last week on the show, Georgia was able to pick up a Clemson transfer as a defensive back. I really think that's going to help them with some inside track on uh, getting a feel for Clemson's tendencies. And so I do like Georgia to win this game. I think that Clemson will be fine. Like, I think they'll run the table and still make the playoff. But I do think Georgia will win this game. Joe, I think this is going to be a great football game. And I think it's going to completely live up to the billing. And I like Clemson in this game. Uh, first off, I thought DG, DJ Uyagalele, when he came in, comported himself quite well. That Notre Dame game, that first one, he played fantastic. That was not his fault they lost. And I think he's got uh, – sky's the limit with him, and he looks like it's going to be plug-and-play as the next quarterback for Clemson. But the reason I'm picking Clemson to win this game is I like Dabo in a head-to-head coaching matchup with Kirby. Every time there's a huge game – where there's equal talent. I'm not talking about just a huge game in general. Like you can say, well, Daniel Kirby beat Notre Dame both times he played him. No, no, no. I'm talking about a huge game with equal talent. Georgia always loses. They do. When Kirby's been there, when he plays on Alabama, he loses. Um, you know, the first time he took on Auburn in 2017, he lost. Now he beat him later, but that was a depleted and injured Auburn team. Kirby gets – very conservative in these games. He makes stupid coaching moves. And Dabo's been here time and time again. And in the end, Joe, I don't trust Kirby to make the wrong decision when this game is on the line. And I'm going to give the edge to Clemson only because I expect Kirby to mess it up somehow. That's certainly a compelling point. I do think either way, both these teams could make it back. Um, You know, really until you made that point there about Kirby's uh, questionable coaching tendencies, I really was ready to pick Georgia to win the SEC, and I probably still will, but I'm not sure if I could go as far to pick them to win the national championship just because it always seems like something goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, you see the most awful fake punt in the history of time, uh, putting Justin Fields out there just to get slaughtered, uh, just, you know, running down the list of, of Kirby mistakes, and that's what you see in these big games with them, like I said, when there's equal talent. And until I see him win one of these games, when it matters, I'm not going to go with the other person. And that's why i got to go with Dabo and, and DJ and the Tigers on this one. Very close, gotcha. though. I think this game is going to end up being 35. No, I don't think it's going to be that high. I'm going to say 27 to 24, Clemson. Okay. I'll go 31-27, Georgia. Okay. Well, either way, it's going to be a fantastic game. And, Kirby, I hope that you prove me wrong. I'd like to see you kind of get out of this. But right now, I'm just going based on what I've seen for the entire time you've been coaching Georgia. Right. That being said, thanks to everyone for listening tonight. Had a really exciting show. Of course, starting off with a Junior Rose Dream. And all of these are going to be uploaded on Spotify for all of your uh, viewing pleasure. 
And you can catch us next Wednesday at 9 p.m. on Facebook Live as we recap what happened this week and preview the next week's games. And as always, I'm Dan. I'm Jeff.